Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your hustle and Kate like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. Uh, Noel, how's it going this week? What is a week, Kate? What is <laughs> what is time? What is what is an existence of living through something and trying to determine and remember everything that happened? Because I can't. I just I don't remember things anymore, Kate. Yeah. I don't remember how this week went. I I I, I can't. I literally can't. I was talking with someone, one of my coworkers, and we were just like, "It's been a year since in." Trump was impeached, right? And no, no, it's, it hasn't been a year. And yet, it feels as if it has because everything. So I don't know how this week is going. <laughs> as we record this, it has been a year to the day since Drag Race Season 11 started. And that okay. feels so long ago. <laughs> no, God. I, I thought they took a year off. No, Kate, they did not. Take you're a, a year liar. Off. I know, right? You're a dirty liar. I know. I know. Uh, yeah. So, listeners, Drag Race is back this week, and that is uh, why I was looking at premieres. It's like, when when was that? How long? It's been off for a year. Which it I mean, obviously, it's like nine months or whatever. But they didn't have the All Star season lead into it this year. This season, season twelve is going to lead into All Stars instead, and just that little like two month difference. Uh, based on where All Stars is placed, feels like ages, and it was just so wonderful and refreshing to have that extra gap. Uh, but yeah, like I feel like next week we'll have thoughts because next week is Super Tuesday, and hopefully that will affect some of like the world we're experiencing, where it feels like there's just different pockets. Hopefully that will lead to some change, at least in my Twitter, um, and then we can feel like we're going somewhere on that side of yep. of things, but. Maybe not. Your Twitter next week's going to be, in this essay, I will explore <laughs> how superdelegates are just the electoral college of the Democratic Party. And or debate me, bro. Mm -hmm. That's the other thing yeah. <laughs> that it'll be. Yes, indeed. Well, until then, fortunately, we have lots of interesting and fun TV to discuss to keep our minds off of those things and on uh, some other things. And this week, fortunately, we are joined by, or I should say, I was joined by Emma Fraser, friend of the show, uh, from, from Primetimer and Sci-Fi Fangirls and Vulture and Collider and all those other wonderful places, Frasbelina on Twitter. And we were talking about Next in Fashion, which is the uh, Netflix fashion show uh or comp competitive design you guys know what we, what, what, what we mean the not project runway show on netflix exactly the tan friend <laughs> tan france and alexa chung uh not project runway show now unfortunately because emma is in the uk scheduling was difficult so noel you were not able to join us now have you seen any next in fashion I haven't um if i didn't have to watch something that we're going to be watching like soon Mm -hmm. um and get through those subtitles i'd probably have checked this out um soon but maybe it maybe i will alternate episodes of next in fashion and um hirigaji yeah i was trying to think of what you were talking about i was like what is he yeah. I, I i'm behind on my viewing clearly because i i this sounds yes that is yes we are yeah. listeners we are catching up with hirigaji we hope to be talking about it soon um but yeah subtitles make it harder uh not there's nothing 
negative about subtitles. It just means that we can't no. multitask while we watch. We have to actually what exactly. actually pay attention. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, that is ridiculous. I I will probably check this out. Um, but I'm I'm very jealous that you got to talk to Emma because I love Emma a lot and I think she's great. Her writing's great, and I'm very jealous. Yeah, no, it was great. She's wonderful. So that segment's coming at the end of the podcast. It was a lot of fun. We talk uh more generic for the first half, and then we dive into spoilers about like you know because because it's it's a week to week like elimination competition show, but they drop it all at once. So if you're trying right. to watch it not spoiled, it's really hard because all the spoils are out there like immediately. Which leads me to question kate is like in a few weeks do we just need to do love is blind now that all the episodes have dropped yeah i i feel like we might be compelled by the discourse but i really don't care <laughs> i don't care either i i also like someone pointed out in my feed um i think it was uh lily lowen Rowe who writes for slate sometimes why are all the people on Love is Blind super duper hot if that's mm-hmm. not supposed to be the issue? Yeah. <laughs> Details. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you know, we did eventually get to cheer, so maybe we'll eventually get to that one too. But uh, <laughs> anyways, I was gl- grateful to talk with Emma. Enjoy that segment at the end of the show. But for now, we've got uh, plenty of TV to talk about, uh, so we should get, yes. to get to that. So we'll take a break, listen to some music, some lovely vocal stylings from this week's TV. Some act- we, had, we had to choose. There were some, back- some different options this week. Uh, and yeah. we'll be right back with our Week in TV. was jesus christ superstar from zoe's extraordinary playlist not uh tip of the hat to fresh off the boat which also gave us a musical moment this week um this week in tv we're going to talk about it's personal with amy hoggart which had a series premiere humor then i'll uh, we'll talk a bit about uh, fresh off the boat which has finale family van and commencement followed by zoe's extraordinary playlist noel's going to catch us up with that we, now it's on episode three zoe's extraordinary boss then i'll give a few thoughts about rupaul's drag race season 12 which ha- will have aired the premiere will have aired by the time you guys y'all hear this and that's of course i'm that bitch is the name of the episode which is it's a promising title right that's a good title for yeah, a drag race no, episode a good title yeah. yeah then we're gonna catch up with mcmillions which is a documentary series on hbo they're up to episode four of six right now then we'll go over to genre for our final few episodes with black lightning the book of war chapter one homecoming the flash grod friended me and we'll round things up with supergirl it's a super life and i do i gotta say i do when we're compiling fun episode titles grad friended me i think is pretty good it's super super good and not at all a dig at cbs yeah i would have expected <laughs> more but no yeah um anyways <laughs> over on it's personal with amy hoggart we had the series premiere uh, i did not get a chance to watch this one i i knew it yeah. was coming but i don't remember much about it what is this series and what did you think of the premiere 
Right. So Amy Hogart, Hogart, uh, who we both know and appreciate from Full Frontal with Samantha B, um, goes around and helps people in this true TV half hour series. And in this first, in this first episode, she's trying to help this woman who believes that she's being held back from like career advancement because she's not funny. She's a very serious person. She's not funny can't tell a joke has trouble like telling stories and i i like the idea of this because what um amy does is like she goes and talks to some like professionals about like brain chemistry they go to with their person with the uh subject of the episode they went to a like how to be funny seminar for like corporate type of like a corporate like thing at a holiday inn by the airport one day sort of deal and all this stuff to try to teach this woman to be confident enough to be funny um it's a weird show um in that i don't necessarily believe that hoggart is sort of the best way to kind of carry this through she's like trying her best but you can just feel like she doesn't quite know what she's doing because it straddles that weird line of sketch comedy and like legitimately like trying to help someone and it doesn't like the the blend of it doesn't quite work because really tellingly in this episode they veer from okay is this person not funny or is she not funny because people are sexist Mm -hmm. and so they invite sets of identical twins to come listen to a talk about a a product um focus group about tires in which Amy dresses up as herself, but then as her identical male twin in beard and hair and a suit and everything and does the same speech. And then they're asked to evaluate who's funnier with the same jokes and everything. And her male persona gets higher evaluations, even though they don't like the jokes still. Um, it's super weird. And it makes the point about sexism and humor and everything but then it never ties back to the subject. Yeah. And the detour feels a little weird. Um, so it just, it didn't click for me. And I was very, very excited about this. Um, the only other thing I will note is that they finally come up with an anecdote for the subject to say at a dinner party that she's throwing. And as they're about to seg into the anecdote, I just had to pause it for like 10, 15 minutes. Because I was just like, if this doesn't work. i'm just going to melt (laughs) yeah it goes off okay but i'm still like this is i I, if it hadn't worked i would have just been devastated for this woman so it's a weird balancing act i i don't think this is particularly good i'm gonna give it like a couple of more episodes i think just because i really like hoggart but i don't know that this is a strong series that knows exactly what it wants to do yet yeah yeah, it's interesting. The uh, I think that is not an experiment that works, the one you described, because that would mean... I'm assuming that she changed her voice when she's being her identical male twin? A little bit, but not a lot. She yeah. Did like, um, she, she did, like, a slightly deeper faux American accent, and she used a faux American accent uh, when she was presenting as herself. Uh-huh. Yo, it's just a very weird experiment, and then she, like, yells at them. Um, after she like reveals the reveals the results to them and just gets like really angry with them and it's very clear that it's 
not a put on anger, at least it doesn't feel like one. It feels like legitimately angry, which is good, but at the same time, again, it just feels really weird. Yeah, but also you'd think that putting on a different voice is going to impact your comedic timing and yeah, how things maybe. are going to land. And yeah. like that's not to say that the what it's proving isn't accurate. Yeah, I don't have any trouble believing that. That makes complete sense to me. Um, but just, I mean, the fact that she's putting on a different voice that isn't her own voice helps control for that at least for the yeah. when she's do, presenting as as female for the joke. But um, that's it's interesting. Also, it's a different. It's, it's identical twins, right? Yes. Yeah. Split apart. So Split like apart. one half, one half got the male stuff, the other half got the female presenter. Yeah, but yeah. that it's a different audience, so. They're yeah. different people. The fact that they are identical twins does not mean they are identically, you know, comedic or. Yeah. Okay. I, that's the kind of thing where it's like, I get what they're going for, but the way you get there doesn't necessarily track. And yeah. it feels very overwrought just by the description. But I I do plan to catch up with it. So I will let you know if I have a different take on it. Please but, do. Yeah. But yeah, that's interesting. Well, that's somewhat disappointing. Um, but fortunately, we had a less disappointing, at least for me, and to fresh off the boat, we had uh, Family Band and Commencement. And these, I mean, we haven't talked about Fresh Off the Boat much this year in its final season. And I think it's for a few reasons. First of all, like, you know, some of the cast has been pretty checked out for a while. But also, it felt like the writers have not had all that much to say. And there's been some reflection on, obviously, Eddie's graduating. He's going to go off to college soon. They're, you know, this finale was just very big with, hey, look at how big they all are. Let's go back to, you know, video, the yeah. images from the the start of the show when they were all tiny. And that does pack a so punch. Tiny. Like, like, very little else could. But, um... But but it's still I thought that this was solid and nice, but nowhere near the best that the show has been. Um so so I was it was a pleasant ending, but I do feel like this show probably lasted at least a season too long. Yeah, I think so too. Like I like both of these episodes on varying degrees. Like I like all the brothers going back to DC mm-hmm. to dig up a time capsule. Um, and realize it was the brotherhood we made along the way. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I liked that, but at the same time, there just wasn't a lot of, like, there there for me either, which is sort of the other thing I ran into with Commencement of, I like this final affirmation of the Jessica and Eddie relationship and Jessica's realization about various things. I also really appreciated the fact the Andy Richter goes and interviews people in Conan's place because Conan can't be bothered. That mm-hmm. was solid. That was solid. Um, but it just never like felt elevated in any way, shape or form. Like it felt very even keeled and I think checked out is sort of an appropriate way of describing both this season, but also these last two episodes. I think they're good, but they're nothing that packs much of a wallop beyond um whatchamacallit beyond like you said the kind of nostalgia factor of they were so tiny and Mm. so baby faced just the babiest of faces (laughs) and that was it and i just i never really felt like the kind of love i felt for this like three years ago in a lot of ways and i do think that this just went a year like you said too long um, but they, I think they just really wanted to get to Eddie's going to culinary school. 
And also he's starting to look, he's going to have this awful facial hair that is very in line mm-hmm. <laughs> with actual Eddie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not the shaved head, but everything else. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also thought, uh, I, I, it's just me, but 1500 is not a high enough score on the SAT to get you scouted by Harvard. So that was also strange Probably not. to me. Yeah. Um, so, but you know, I would have liked a different kind of workaround or explanation for that, but whatever. It let us have some fun. I certainly will be in, uh, happy to, to see what all these these cast, uh, the cast, obviously Constance Wu and Randall Park, but you know, even some of the other figures pop up in other shows. I'm going to be interested to follow what they do next but yeah fresh yeah. off the boat you know there are worse ways to end yeah and i I've, i'm i'm really curious about like what the kids are going to do in particular going forward like randall park's got a couple of marvel things that he's got lined up constance was just like i am famous now <laughs> uh, I, I i can go do plays now because i don't have a tv show <laughs> um because she's definitely not going to do tv again or she, at the very least she's not going to do broadcast tv probably yeah um so I'm really curious, yeah, like you said, what they're all going to do. Ray Wise is just going to do Ray Wise stuff, because that's, mm-hmm. that's who he is now. That's, that's what he's got. He can do Ray Wise stuff. <laughs> hey, and I will watch it. Happily so. Yeah, I will um, too, because he's great. <laughs> yeah. Let's move on to Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist, Zoe's Extraordinary Boss. So this is our Lauren Graham episode, I assume. Um, how, how did it go? Yeah, so I circled back to this um, for a couple of reasons. One... I kind of liked the first episode. Like there's things to like in it. Um, Mm -hmm. And, but it's a pilot. So you have to like, kind of get through it. And so the second episode's fine. The third episode is also fine. Um, And I think that's just sort of the gear that we're going to be in is we're going to do a sort of, uh, whatchamacallit, um, like early edition type of thing, but with music. Mm-hmm. Um, because in this episode, Zoe keeps hearing uh, either can't can't get no can't, uh, satisfaction um, because her boss, Lauren Graham, sings it in the bathroom and realizes that it's about her husband um, that she's struggling with. Um, and so she keeps hearing it and until she like talks to her boss about what's going on. She'll just keep hearing it over and over again. And it's a new wrinkle in terms of how this works. Uh, the second episode also kind of dives into what are the rules of this? And the show goes, there aren't any. <laughs> um, to which I go, that's not how this works. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's still good. I think it's still fun. Like I enjoy it. Like there's a lot of really good physical comedy, especially in the third episode um, from Jane Levy. Uh, Levy in particular, I think is just really, really good. And we've known that because she was really good in Suburgatory. And so she's tapping into some, like some of the stuff there that you're familiar with here. Um, but the other reason to mention is just that Jesus Christ Superstar Needle Drop is super good. Um, Lauren Graham's husband is like this massive game developer who they're using to, um, whatchamacallit, uh, launch and promote their new watch, but he's an asshole, but all the programmers love him, like Mm -hmm. worship him. Hence, when he arrives at the office, the programmers all start singing Jesus Christ Superstar and then stage very community theater-esque choreography for Jesus Christ Superstar. Um, and it's very sweet. It's very cute. And I was also just very happy to get a non-top 40 billboard 
pop pop song finally from them because it's all it's been is like pop rock stuff so finally getting a music thing from them was really good there's also a rap song um in this episode as well uh naturally given to the black guy of course Um, of course um that's also really nice because again she downloaded the entirety of itunes into her brain there's more than just popular music in her brain on all itunes so i was glad that we got a musical and we got a rap song um hopefully we'll get opera at some point Mm -hmm. (laughs) but we'll see um i I like it it's fun but it's also really inessential still i don't think there's a reason to watch this and if there was some way to watch eli stone Based on what people have told me about Eli Stone, you should just be watching Eli Stone instead. Yeah, no, it's super fun. I remember it very fondly. Yeah, so that would be much better. But alas, there is not. Um, So I will go check out that Jesus Christ Superstar sequence because that sounds interesting, but probably not the rest. And if if that changes, let me know if I should start seeking it out. Um, What listeners should seek out, of course, is RuPaul's Drag Race, in my opinion. This is the season 12 premiere, I'm That Bitch. And what this does, I I really like this episode. And I think it's also, separate from that, I think it's really smart. So it's a really fun episode. But what they do is there are 13 queens this season. So they do the same thing they did in season 6. And they're doing a double premiere where they do the first seven queens this week and then they're going to do the other six queens next week so that you actually get enough time with each of the people that you get to meet them and know them. So because there's only seven queens vying for camera time and not 13, you get to actually spend a second on each of their entrances. And like right as your attention is beginning to fade, they're done adding new queens. (laughs) And then we go to the mini challenge. And the mini challenge is to do a fall look and a spring look. So they all do two more runways. So within the first half of the episode, you've seen three separate looks from each of the seven queens. You get a real sense of their aesthetic and their approach. Um, And also, which this is a a noteworthy thing. This is not always the case. I would say that all seven queens have at least one really cute or interesting or good look. And many of them have a bunch of them. And so that, that's good. It means the queens can live up to the scrutiny of a camera following them more closely right at the beginning of the season and that many looks. And then the guest judge is Nicki Minaj. So for the challenge, they have to do the thing where they write a rap and put together a, a, a number. And again, because there are seven of them, they can actually do that and kind of have it work. And it also, again, shows a lot more the specificity of who these queens are. They, I mean, nobody, uh, nobody falls on their face. Some are more memorable than others. Um, there's a few who do a really good job, but. Um, but still they all manage, like they, they all can handle that. And that's not a thing that's always been true of like the first like the whole batch of queens. So it it speaks well to the talent level of this season, or at least of this half of the cast of this season. But it also speaks to the producers learning some lessons. There's a distinct uptick in the number of comedy queens, because that was a real problem last season where it was like, it's just Nina by the end. And maybe a few of the other queens are getting better at the comedy stuff, but... <sighs> Not that much. It would be better if there was more people for Nina to bounce off of. Uh, so that they've clearly addressed that in their casting. They've made sure that they have more polished queens this season. They have queens who can handle the looks. And then, do you want a spoiler or no? Um, how big of a spoiler? It's, well, it's just for this this premiere episode. 
Yeah, I'll take it. It's fine. Okay, so then there's no elimination. And so okay. instead of doing the bottom two lip sync, they do the top two lip sync to ensure that there's at least one good lip sync. Because <laughs> that yeah. was another real problem of the previous season is that there were a few good lip syncs, but they were really spread out over the course of the whole season. And so instead of of having the bottom two lip sync this week, uh, and I don't know if it was like, like you got the sense the only other time they've done that is was with Lady Gaga, and you got the sense with her, she was like, no, I'm not sending anyone home. We, right. If yeah. you have me on your show, we're not sending anyone home, my episode. Um, and so... So I don't know if it was a, a something that Nicki Minaj wanted to do or if just they wanted to first introduce the seven and then introduce the six and then we'll eliminate somebody after that. But yeah. that what that means is that we get to have two of the stronger queens do the lip sync. So you kick the season off right. There's a good track record of Nicki Minaj lip syncs in the course of the show. Uh, All Stars 3 had Anaconda and that was really funny with that was the one with that insane leap from Aja and also right. and, and the Bende la Creme comedy shtick um, there was Pound the Alarm of course with Monet when M- Monet first showed us all she did her fake out or she did the respirator thing and her fake out um, splits and everything so so there's just been a good track record with, record with Nicki Minaj songs and this I thought was another really strong uh, lip sync performance um, so yeah there's some there's some contenders this season there's some really strong queens and the overall level is high um so that that's yeah it's it's a good it's a good sign and it shows it or it seems to show maybe i'm reading too much into it but it seems to show an awareness from the producers of some of the problems of of recent seasons and a willingness and a uh interest in addressing it so yeah i'm, I'm pretty excited for season 12 and We'll see what happens with the second half of the of the queens because I certainly am now very curious to see how they picked this half to be first. Yeah, so, we'll see. Um, so my question, given like you just acknowledged and sort of dive in, dove into with some of the casting, was is there a what's the degree of the geographical oh, diversity? Yeah within the set of queens so far because again the show just leans really heavily on the new york scene um to a large extent um of some from the west coast but it's just really heavy on new york a lot it feels like so how is that shaping up this season well there are 13 queens this season and five of them are from new york so there's oh. a heavy New York presence, definitely. Okay. But but the but the batch that we meet in this first episode, there are two from Missouri. Um, okay. There is one of the New York queens was originally from Paris, but moved to New York in the last year and a half. So she uh, she's been in New York for the last year and a half. One of the New York queens was originally from Canada. So there's mm-hmm. a little bit more diversity to the like the the experiences of the New York queens at least. Uh, there was some really great stuff with um, with those two queens actually about because the one is from Canada originally, but her but is half Persian, and okay. so and and the and the queen who uh, was from Paris and then New York uh, spent a significant amount of time or a meaningful amount of time in Morocco growing up too, okay. and uh, so they could re- they talked about their experiences being queer and coming from or living in communities where it's li- literally illegal you can get thrown in jail right 
Um, yeah. and, and how that has affected them. And yeah, there, there's a very distinct theme to the season of politics, which if you've seen any of the promotional material will not be surprising. Which everybody's I have not in, seen any of. Everybody's in red, white, and blue. Um, okay. I pledge allegiance to the drag is the thing that they mm-hmm. had all the guest okay. judges say when they were announcing them, which is fun to see Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, uh, doing. Um, but yeah, so that, that's, looks like that's going to be the theme of the season. And you okay. know, I'm all here for that, especially in yeah. 2020. But yeah, they're they're packing in as much like political jargon as they possibly mm-hmm. can. Like, let's meet your candidates, you know, like yeah. that kind of a thing. And I actually think that's great, if only yeah. because it just normalizes this idea that politics is the is the everyday politics. I mean, it it's not just only when we're gonna get serious for a while. It's also you can joke about it and it's just part of the vernacular, it's part of your daily life, and it's worthy of you know, treating, uh, you know, placing alongside with entertainment, with, uh, with more serious parts of your life, but also that you can take, you know, take seriously the responsibility to vote and to be engaged, but it's not like only serious people care about voting, care about politics, it impacts everyone. So this should not be like a topic that more informed people are like, oh, they must know more than me because I don't know that much about that. kind. It's just part of your daily life. And it's just a natural part of communication and community and being in a a society. Also, the um, RuPaul's uh, American is like the song that's going to be featured on every runway and everything. Um, So that you just the I am American. This is going to get played over and over and over as we and as kids, especially because there's a very young viewership to, to Drag Race. So as young people watch this show, just the theme of, no, all of these people are Americans. So what it means to be American, it also means these people, too. And it also right. means you watching. And that that is powerful, as long as you take that power and you don't yeah. hand it to other people. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 you know, I'm a sucker for that, of course. But it worked. I like it. <laughs> so that's where I'm at with Drag Race. I want to know where you're at with McMillions, because I've been watching this. This is the HBO documentary series about the rigging of the McDonald's uh, uh, Monopoly game. Yes. It's a six-episode series. Each episode is an hour, um, more or less. And uh, it's... I mean, I knew vaguely about it, but I did not know the detail that this gets into. And I've really been enjoying it. Also, surprising overlap viewing. This has been one that has been well received by the by the parents and by the other people I've recommended it to. So I always appreciate when that happens because they don't they don't care for drag race. They just don't get it. They don't have a problem with it. They just like I just, it seems like they're being mean. It's like, no, mom, that's shade. That's different. It's like, no, that, but it just seems like. <laughs> so I always appreciate when I can find a. Have you not been able viewing. to contextualize shade with Midwestern niceness? Because I feel like there's a lot of overlap there. Yeah, no, they don't do Midwestern nice. They think that's bullshit. So it okay. doesn't work. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Anyways, what did you think of McMillions? <laughs> um, so. I I think the first two episodes of this are just endlessly fascinating and really interesting. I think episodes three and four are not nearly as interesting. Mm -hmm. This is a really sort of weird, real crime documentary where I feel like law enforcement is infinitely more compelling than the actual criminals involved. (laughs) But they're certainly more entertaining. (laughs) Yeah, they're way more entertaining, um, which I think is... I, I really do feel like the producers and the directors went, wow, this main FBI guy is great. Just super great. <laughs> we can't get enough of him. And then we're going to go talk to 
both the people who were maybe in who were involved but not directly involved so like victims and then sort of victims slash co-perpetrators because that line's very fuzzy with this particular sort of con um and the narrative around the jimmies as it were is not interesting like there's a lot of things happening in it but at the same time i'm just like no i really want to know how he got those tickets either copied them or got them out of that ridiculous security bunker because kate <laughs> what is that? It's clearly that's they're. I, I have a feeling that's episode they're building six. To it. Yes. Yeah, that's yes. got to be the last because they like because some of us would check. I mean, I, I like it more than you do, but some of us would definitely check out as soon as they gave us that information. Right? No, no, no. And I definitely would. Um, and I I know that this is structuring it. I just haven't liked the last two episodes very much. But the first two episodes, I think, are really, really good. I like the whole concept. Um, I also was just tickled by the FBI being like. Wait, McDonald's doesn't know anything about this? It's all handled by their marketing department? And I went, yes. Yes, it is. That's how all of these work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's how all of this sort of stuff works, is marketing handles all of it, and corporate knows nothing. That's how all of this works. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think it's good. I think it's interesting. I think it's very much in a vein of semi-goofy, but with realistic sort of like ramifications on people's lives sort of true crime stuff so it feels like a good breather from the really heavy murder serial killer cult type true crime stuff to give you something that's weirdly still again has just has had a weird impact on the people involved on it from we didn't think about the taxes when we did this too. We had to keep paying them a lot of money too. I only did it once and then I never did it again. And I just never saw them again. Um, and the degrees to which that is different and how that has played for their played through their lives, I think is really interesting and represents again, a different sort of way of thinking about crime, which I think is really important. Um, when we get talk about the concept of true crime type stuff, um, so I think, I think it's good. I just, I don't find some of the, the cast of characters as like charismatic or as engaging as I think I'm supposed to. Um, and that's kind of where I struggle, but I also just want to know how they did it. Um, <laughs> and I've been working really hard not to look it up. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, I would, you know, like, try to stay strong. I would encourage you to stay strong. Because yeah. I think I have a feeling from how this is directed that it will be fun when they do reveal that. Um, yes. And those, I think that's the biggest difference is over the course of the episode, the tone shifts dramatically. And those yes. first two episodes are much more fun. They're much more heist. Yeah. They're much more, let's figure this out. It's, it's like much more, much more like puzzle, you know? And like undercover, you said, undercover. 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 Come on. No, undercover. we're not. Go get me that form I need. Stop <laughs> saying undercover. Oh my God. Like the, the dynamics, the interpersonal dynamics of everybody on the FBI, like task force of this are hilarious and so identified. Viable. It's yes. like we all know people like all of these people, uh, like their different roles within the group. And it's just hilarious. But then as you get into the uh, the next episodes, episode three and episode four, you're spending more time with the criminal side of it. And most of the people that you're spending time with, it's just really sad. Yes. It's just it's just depressing and sad. And the people who are running it 
the 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 higher ups are just gross bad people, and the people that they picked to to be winners either or their family, so they they didn't get too horribly treated, or they were people that could be exploited, and that's why they were yes. chosen. And um, and it, so it's just it's just sad. And the, so the, so I think that's interesting. It's definitely interesting, and I appreciate that they don't try to glamorize it or make it fun when we're yeah. dealing with some of those people. I they they're like obviously they're perpetrators, but they're also very much shown to be victims of this as well. Mm-hmm. And um, so I appreciated that lens, uh, but it also like if if you feel like you signed up for the show that was the first two episodes, yes, then you like that changes significantly by the time you're in the the third and fourth episode. Yeah. And I think that the juxtaposition of that can work, especially when they really layer in the FBI side against Mm -hmm. them. Uh, So like uh, with uh, what's her name? Um, The black woman. Mm -hmm. I can't remember because I can't remember literally anyone's name. Any of their names. Yeah. Um, When they sort of like layer in the FBI side of her um, interview with her also discussing it. I think it works much more effectively to where the FBI saw this really weird, but very doable case, but then never really considered the human side of it. And I think that that's really interesting, but then there's not a, like a big, like dig into that kind of disconnect. Um, aside from, one of the producers asking the Florida um, ADA, wait, so how is this not entrapment? Yeah. <laughs> because it seems like entrapment on like a layperson level of you're misrepresenting yourself and you're getting these people to basically confess a whole bunch of things without them being aware of it. And the answer is, well, they already did the thing. <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> We're not getting them to do anything new. Right. We're just getting them to talk about the thing that they already did. Yeah. 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 And because and, the first time you see that scene, basically, it's very much played for glee and for energy and for getting the bad guy and all of that. And then when you come back to it from her perspective, it's fear, it's anxiety, it's years of regret and yeah. and suffering. Um based on the the people she ended up involved with and that she did not end up getting any money out of it and yeah. ended up actually in the worst financial situation. Um, yeah, it's that really, it's jarring. And like you said, the the show is, the, the documentary crew are not curious about that. And they certainly don't want to paint the, the fun FBI guys in a negative light. Right. Or in a callous light. Yeah. So... The, again, it's kind of like some of the stuff in Cheer, where it's on you yes. as a viewer to connect those, yeah, to examine and those. No, again, normally I'm fine with that, but I, with documentary, I'm always looking for a more active documentary, and I think, and this again just boils down to like a personal preference of documentarian has a responsibility, at least for me, and I know that this is point of debate within documentary, like how you execute a documentary, so. I think that that's just something I'm missing, which is part of the reason why, like, episodes three and four feel like such a jarring type of thing, is that the through line's not necessarily there, um, and that that helps, that would help, I think, kind of 
tie things nicely together because sort of how they keep going to their recreation of the the board mm-hmm. um i'd go where was the documentarian's board to like really draw these kinds flesh out these kinds of connections and themes especially when you have six hours yeah. like when you've got six hours you've got time i feel like and we're not even talking like netflix six hours we're talking hbo six hours so you're right at like 55 minutes for most of these episodes uh so i think that that's kind of what I'm looking for when we get to four, five and six, I should say, of like, how how do we engage with this fuller? Um, so we'll see. I, I do acknowledge that they are sort of ham-tied, at least in one instance, because someone's dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Doesn't help. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't help. <laughs> that that can that can make your line of questioning a little limited, certainly. Yeah. 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 Well, well, we will check in with this when we finish it up. But yeah, certainly, I'm yes. glad that that we decided to to like look into it because this would have gone right past my radar um, yes. otherwise. So, yeah, that was fun. Um, it's been fun to to like get into that story a bit. Um, also fun in a very different way. We'll see that transition there. That was good. Uh, it was terrible. Uh, we have Black Lightning, The Book of War, Chapter One, Homecoming. And uh, there's, you know, this really has a lot of setup, it feels like, for yes. what our new phase of the show is going to be. And I'm curious how long that's actually going to last. Right. And I feel like this phase can't last very long. Like, I feel like this is like a three chapter book. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because anything else, I feel like they're just going to drag it out too much. Uh, Just because you can't have a protracted war with a other national, (laughs) another country centered around this one city without still raising a lot of questions about why (laughs) no one else cares. Why are all the superheroes not there? Yes. Like, I just have just so many questions about it. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Yeah. um, Yeah, I feel like that they can't they can't do too much in this book because a Wayne Brady's too central to it. And you can't keep Wayne Brady for too long. Mm-hmm. Um, he's very expensive, uh, but we'll talk about Gravedigger in a minute. And also I am sort of ready for them to move on to like a start a new arc, basically of we've been in the Markovia stuff the stuff around how it was impacting Freeland, I thought was really, really good in the first half of the season. Uh, but then this episode, I think just between the setup and then we get like a short attack with the Purdy. I'm just like, no, wait, wait, that's it. No, no show. No, you don't get to do that. <laughs> <laughs> the Purdy have been really significant to this arc in a very supporting cast sort of way. Please give them more space. <laughs> so I'm really curious to see, especially what chapter two is going to be. Um, and how this gets played out. Uh, so I'm liking it, but I am also ready for them to step back from this Markovian threat. And I'm ready for them to wrap this part up because there's Tobias lurking Mm -hmm. and we need to deal with Tobias. And also Khalil's going to come back at some point again. So, Uh, yep. (laughs) It's just, you kill him, then he comes back. You write him off, but where can he go? They're trapped in a bubble cave. <laughs> There's no place for him to go. <laughs> yeah. A bit of an issue there. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying this as well. I think there's some good family stuff, especially the dynamics are good. But, like, I I am also very ready for the for the Kobe stuff to be done, for all of the... What's our bad guy with the glasses? 
Odell? Odell. I'm ready for all the Odell stuff to be done. I'm like, where's Henderson? Let's get Henderson back. And that's the fun thing is Henderson's done done in like a three to four, two to three episodes from the actor, the actor announced that he's done. Like oh, he's, wow. Yeah. So he's like, he's out after, I think, episode 15, after episode 16 or 17, I think was his last episode, 18 at the very latest. So he's like done done. That's disappointing. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I like the return of Lady Eve. I think that's super yeah. fun. Oh, yeah. All the Lala stuff. Like, where is this going? Yeah. I love it. Where is this going? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it, it's all set up for post-Markovia. Yeah, pretty clearly. Uh, but, but let's talk about Gravedigger because, yeah. first of all, Brendan's dad, right? Obviously. Second of all, um, I, I really like what they do with him here and i think you know he's been a very effective villain i mean this is a show that has done villains better than i think like any of the other shows on the cw yeah and i think that i mean gravedigger's origin isn't like super different from this as it's depicted here from my understanding but it's different enough in that oh no we're gonna do captain america on a black guy and it's going to go horribly horribly wrong and I'm just so compelled by this and I really like it. And there's no reason, like there's no reason, reason for them to have spent all the time doing a literal flashback with Gravedigger to show him fighting like Nazis and stuff over Gamby's exposition. Cause you can just do Gamby's exposition and it'll be fine. But the yeah. fact that they take the time to show the experiment, to show him fighting and then all this stuff is just like, oh, you're making a really good historical point about how the U.S. government uses black bodies. Let's keep talking about this show. And it's just really, really interesting. So now we have this guy who basically runs Markovia's military <laughs> um, as a defector. And I'm just like, oh, this is this is really good. I like all of this. And you cast Wayne Brady for it, too. Which is also just, again, really smart. From like a star text image, but also just from a expectation image of mm-hmm. what do we think about with Wayne Brady? And then we think about exactly sort of this kind of thing of someone that we've valued and then just what happens when that gets twisted in a way. So I like how all of that works here. Um, it's really good. I just am still ready to move on because it's been so long in this arc. Yeah, um, no, agreed. But it's good. It's really good. What did you think about the fact that they just gave that all that space to visually telling us his backstory with Gamby's like exposition? I think it's way more effective than showing a white guy talking about what it's like to be a black soldier. Um, yeah. So there's mm-hmm. that. But also, um, like you said, this is what if Captain America, but black soldier? And how does that shape things? And and it's much yeah. more interesting. And I, I like the time they give it because it's the kind of thing that Black Lightning does. It's kind of the kind of thing that makes us interested to talk about the show way more than we talk about all the other CW shows, except for maybe Legends, because it's just so fun. But, um, yeah, it just speaks to their priorities over yeah. there. And yes. I really appreciate it. Yeah, because I, as I was watching, I was thinking the same thing. I was like, oh, they're actually, like, showing us this. They could have just, like show him being ominous and like working or yes. something. And instead they took the time and the money to be like, no, we need some Nazi uniforms. And now we need this. Now we need this. Um, I was also, of course, immediately thinking of, uh, you know, thinking of Watchmen 
and um, Doctor Manhattan being sent in as like another body yeah. owned by the the yeah 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 the government and how that shapes things too. So yeah, it, it was definitely interacting with other texts, other like movies and comics and stuff. And uh, yeah, I appreciated that. And that you wouldn't have gotten that in the same way if you didn't actually show it. Yeah, absolutely. So no, I was glad because that's like time and money yeah. that you could have saved. And instead, no, we're going to spend it here. And I think that's a really good display of their priorities that I really, really appreciate. Yeah, definitely. Uh, let's go over to The Flash and Grodd friended me. Yeah, it's a fun title. And they're like, we're going to do The Flash Grodd team up that nobody saw coming. And it doesn't make any sense for there to be a lightning bolt on Grodd's chest. But who cares? It's cool. <laughs> so there was a lot to enjoy here. Um, and then there's some other stuff that I thought was, was stupid. Uh, let's start with Crisis and how there's different shows can't make up their mind. But whether things have changed, about whether people have memory of things changing, or what exactly is going on. And, and I'm happy to give some squiggle room here and there. But I need them to tell us whether people have all their memories or don't. Do they know both timelines? Because that's what I was led to believe. Or do they only know their timeline and I have to get filled in on the new one? Um, and what about the people who weren't Paragons? Did they have both or what's going, you know, I, I liked everything we got with that here. I appreciated it and thought it, it really uh, was impactful, but it felt like a rewrite so that we could do this episode. Yeah, that's sort of what I'm grappling with is that literally the entire geography of Central City is different now. <laughs> and yet sort of the only thing that changed about National City is that Lex Luthor is, like, a thing. And a mm -hmm. positive thing. And it's like, yes, that's a big deal. But this was infrastructure. <laughs> I don't understand how any of this works. Um, and it's kind of frustrating a little bit. Um, that I mean, Legends, it kind of almost doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter. But we're also not dealing with it on, like, Gotham either with Batwoman of, like, how has Gotham changed? Answer, it has not changed at all. Um, and that's sort of like the thing with these kinds of ripple effects, even in comics, is how much do you want to like buy into the buy into the new status quo? A lot, a little bit, or none at all? And allowing that to pick kind of forces you to not do these kinds of things, I feel like. Um, so it's a little frustrating in that regard. But I still enjoyed, like, God friended me, like, the God, Grod friended me with the, whatchamacallit, uh, with, yes, it doesn't make any sense for Grod to absorb Barry Allen, but they're also in a mindscape, so it doesn't matter? I don't know, and I don't care, because it's <laughs> silly, and it's weird, and I'm always here for this show to have their big CGI creatures fighting each other, because it's just silly and i'm also here for keith david doing some solid solo of our work as always um so it's just it's silly but I, it was also just kind of tricky to get past the whatchamacallit um the weirdness of crisis ripple effects basically um i'm a little sad that cisco's already back uh because i was actually sort of primed for having a lot more chester as like being cisco's replacement because that's yeah. obviously what they're positioning him as um because i was just like 
No, I kind of like this concept. Um, I like this idea. I like the energy that A, that character brings, but also that that actor brings is very different from the rest of the Star Star Labs like team. Um, even in a very different way from like um, Dibney's energy still feels a piece of Star. Whereas Chester does not necessarily feel that way. And I like that idea of what that means for everyone. Um, so yeah, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Um, um, there was anything else. Um, how are you feeling about the sudden but inevitable betrayal of um, Eve McCullough? Uh, yeah, that's... <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, what's interesting to me is like that what we were saying last time about other iris and memories and the trauma. So now it looks like, yeah, yeah no, we're not going to get that. And yeah. that is frustrating. Yes. Um, yeah. The only other thing I have about Chester is I do very much enjoy Chester. I need them to differentiate Chester from Echo Kellum on Arrow. I think he's... I see where you're coming from. I think his energy is more manic. Like, it's less sort of... Con- there's connections there, but there's less, like... There's less, like, direct sort of connection type through line, I think, that... Um, uh, Echo Callum had on Arrow, but I see, I see, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. I feel like they're very drawn from the same archetype. Yeah. Um, and which is fair. And so I just would like more specificity to Chester because yeah. I do enjoy him. I think he could be a good addition to the team, and you know they're clearly priming um yeah. for for you know for Cisco to leave um in a more permanent permanent sense i was very surprised that he's already back i expected yeah. at least a few more episodes but you know, we'll see. yeah um yeah i'm also very ready for Wally to be back so that's very yeah exciting. i'm i'm excited about that and i'm excited about him coming with Barry, what the hell are you doing? Is because what did you do again? Those are my those are my favorite episodes where people just yell at Barry Allen for things. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good times. Well, speaking of yelling at people about things, we have Supergirl and It's a Super Life, which is their hundredth episode, and they celebrated by bringing back Vince Pitlick. And this and time, no, they celebrated by bringing back Monel. Kate. that's what they're celebrating. Is yeah, bringing back. They Mon-El. brought back Vince Pitlick, uh, and they instead of doing what they did last time which was a fun enough episode, but stupid. They cast Tom uh, Thomas Lennon, and that's a such better, like, everything about Mitzvah in this is so much better. Like, yes. it's just like, there's no comparison. This is, this is, the only way you could do this even better is if he was evil, but they don't want him to be evil because it doesn't, it hurts their framing structure. Um, yeah. But it was delightful. I really actually liked that use of that character. Um, I think that was, this was a good time to do the, uh, to do the uh, car gets over uh, Lena thing. I think, you know, if they were ever going to get them together, it, this would be the episode where she was, oh, I'm in love with her. And that's why I'm making such a big deal out of this and all of these different things. It seems like that's never going to happen because if it was, it would have happened here, um, at least in one of the realities. And uh, so instead, if we weren't going to get that. I thought that pretty much everything else we did we got in this episode made sense. It also explained why there are those reports of Jeremy Jordan being on for three episodes because of the alt reality stuff here. Yeah. Um, yeah, they still are sidelining some of the other characters in ways that are not uh, all that interesting. But it was a break episode from all of the stupid stuff with Leviathan and everything with the 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 
lenses and thank you and the weight of the q waves or whatever so it was a nice change of pace and i actually found myself i wasn't really looking forward to it but i actually really ended up enjoying this one yeah and i think a lot of that boils down to the fact that thomas lennon and melissa benoist immediately click with one another yeah a lot of that just has to do with the fact that i mean both of them kind of just have chemistry with white paint on a wall Mm -hmm. (laughs) um they're just gonna immediately like but their energy just meshes really, really well together, I think. Um, again, Thomas Lennon did, like, just so much work on mm-hmm. that Odd Couple reboot to make it something. Mm-hmm. Um, so stepping into this, I think, is just really easy for him, I feel like. Um, but also just, this is mixy type of thing. Because um, it's also a very mixy sort of um, concept as well of, yeah, no, those jerks at the fifth dimension are just making me atone for stuff. And it's just such a fifth dimension thing too. <laughs> um, from the comics, I'm just like, yes, all of this makes sense. Like in very like comics lore, all of this makes sense. Um, so I really liked all of that. Um, but I did like this sort of, it's a wonderful life sort of approach to the Lena and Carter relationship and how can we fix it? Nope. We can't fix it that way. All right, let's try again all the way to, we're going to do it for the very first thing. And then just having that, those ripple effects be what they are of this is how agent Liberty gets radicalized instead. Um, which is also really good. I feel like, um, but it also gives us a chance for Rob Lowe's character to come back and not Rob Lowe, Chad Lowe's character to come back. I like that character. Um, he's just such a weirdo. Um, but Chad Lowe just does such a good job with it. But I think that overall, it's a really good sort of like not clip show, clip show episode. Um, that it's good. Um, and I do think that while yes, that this is the episode in which some sort of romantic realization could have occurred and would have been nice. I do think that it also puts them on a path where they can do it at the end as well. Um, To a certain degree, because I think having Carr tell Lena that, yeah, no, I know you made that whole speech about not being the villain, but I'm going to treat you like one if you're going to keep acting like it, I think is a good sort of wake-up call. Um, in terms of hopefully maybe starting to like question and think about things um, and how that's going to play out. I like I like this potential avenue that that opens up for them. Whether or not they actually do it <laughs> is a whole other issue. Um, and my guess is that they're going to keep teasing it and then still not do anything about it, in which case I'm just maybe going to stop watching the show because I don't know how much longer I can put up with this. Um, and so I think that that represents a good avenue, but I do also like it from a character development episode perspective for Carr going like, I can't keep living this and having her like actually relive things, I think is also a really, really smart way of basically going through Freudian psychotherapy, which is all about reliving trauma over and over and over again until you come to grips with it. So you're just going to do it here. And I'm just like, yeah, okay, I'm here for this, even if Freud is mixy. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That works for me. I'm okay with that. (laughs) (laughs) So I think it's good, and I like that this also sort of frees Kara up a little bit as they now shift away from the GEO as well to, to like, hopefully put in a new sort of status quo 
Um, but also hopefully she'll do more at Catco. Like I just the show's just a mess this season. So I'm just like trying to latch onto the things that I like and hope that those things don't fall from underneath my hands. Mm-hmm. Well, it's also just such a reminder of all the different things the show has done better than what they're doing now. It's yes. like, oh, look, here's here's a picture of Calista Flockhart. She was so much better than Andrea. <laughs> she was so much better than most of the recurring characters we have here. We just couldn't get her to stay for understandable reasons. Uh, right. Oh, Calista Flockhart does not want to live in Vancouver. <laughs> yeah. Here is Rain. And Rain had her issues. But, hey, the performance is really good. Yeah. And Odette Coleman? That sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. Odette's definitely her first Odette, name. yeah. <laughs> uh, and, oh, look, here's Agent Liberty. Definitely the best villain the show's ever done and probably will ever do. Yeah. It's not close. And he, he like, he's already immediately more, like, more of a threat and more, like, just tangibly present and interesting in, like, two minutes of screen time than Black yeah. Hole, uh, sorry, not Black Hole. See, see that's how they blend together. Uh, then uh, Leviathan. Leviathan. Has been all season long. A lot of that does help with the fact that we have that connection to Agent Liberty and that you and I both feel that way about him. Um, Like, it's a very easy thing for them to achieve, but at the same time, they're really consistent with how they deployed him. That whole idea, oh, no, he revealed himself. She revealed him herself. Well, I gotta, I can't cheat, but I can also just go around and kill everyone now. (laughs) So... (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, it just e- even just like the first scene with Lena where he's talking about his dad, it's just like the the game of the episode is raised. Where it's like, yeah. yep, no, he's really good, guys. It's also yeah. him. The actor's really good. Sam and we're so good in that role. He's it's so good. Yeah. Kind of disgusting. And, anyway, yeah. <laughs> and and just and the and just the show is playing with more potent themes yes. than and and more interesting and more grounded themes than they have all season. So it's, yeah, it's just, uh, it's, it shows a mess. I will also, I gotta say, I would have liked more time with Alex and more time with Jean in the 100th episode. I mean, I, yes. I think they nod to that with the final scene, but it's a 100th episode where we spend almost no time with Alex. Yeah. And the Danvers and- sisters' relationship is non-existent on the show at this point, and that's really sad. Yeah, and I mean, they're just kind of like, we're going to give you that graveside scene. That's what we're going to give you. And it's like, yeah, and thank God for Kyler Lee because she sells the shit out of that yeah. scene. Like, so good. It's, it's really good. Um, yeah. It's better than it has any business being in within the context of this episode. Like, it's way better than it should be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, it just... Yeah, it's too... They are very sidelined. Um, but they also just don't know what to do with Alex. Like, they just don't. Um, because it's just like, wait, what about her relationship? Oh, no, don't worry about that. What about her stuff with the DEO? She just quit. Don't worry about it. It's like, wait, what is this? What What is happening? Mm-hmm. What is happening? And one of the things that I think is like kind of important to kind of flesh out and think about a little bit is, yeah, we're knocking Supergirl for not being as sort of thematically consistent as it particularly was last season. Um, when it was like really talking about something, but at the same time, and we're talking about it being a mess, I really want to specify that it's a very different sort of mess from like what Legends of Tomorrow is, because that mess, it's a mess with a purpose, (laughs) whereas 
even though some of the stuff that happens in like this week's of like, yeah, we never really had an idea for Charlie. <laughs> but hey, we figured it out now. We figured it out now. Yeah. Um, which doesn't make a lick of sense. Yep. However, because the show's internal consistency is not making sense, mm-hmm. like that's its whole game. Yeah. And because they execute it as well as they do, in a way that is fun and consistent with its own internal logic, it works and we accept it and we're able to slide into that world. Supergirl's decision to swerve out of like a political mode this season, really hardcore, um, to do something about journalism, technology, conspiracy theories, just none of it like feels joined in any way shape or form and after a show that has generally sort of tried to have a theme about something each season not having that this season and very purposefully not having a theme this season because the showrunners were very clear that they wanted to do something fun well then you need to be fun (laughs) yeah and that this hasn't been problem fun (laughs) yeah Well, see, the difference is that Legends of Tomorrow's messiness and its its haphazard approach to history and the the like the canon of the show, but also the some of the characters, is always in service of theme and character. Yes, so always. So, so it might be messy. It might not make very much sense. But the reason it's not making sense is because it is more narratively and it is more character and it is more thematically compelling to do this other thing so we're gonna do that and we'll we'll you know, like guess what Ava's a clone <laughs> so you know, we're, we'll bring that up when it's convenient and but and we won't bring it up the rest of the time but we will never forget that that is the case yeah and we'll and we'll make sure that every now and again we throw it in there so that you know does it make sense that she's from a different future timeline? Shouldn't that have been rewritten? How does it, like, how is she still there? How is she not, like, a time wraith or something? Doesn't matter, because that's not the point. The yeah. point is what it's saying, you know, her search for identity, what it says about Sarah and where she's at, you know, in her life as well. Like, that's what matters. That's what grounds us. And everything else is just decoration on top of that. Whereas on Supergirl, they have been sacrificing theme and character in service of plot and in service of nothing. Yeah. And mostly nothing. Yeah. It's not, it's not good. It's not good. Yeah. yeah. So, and I think, I just think that's important part that we parse that out. Cause we didn't talk about legends of tomorrow this week. It was a very silly episode. Uh, mm-hmm. Genghis Khan on scooters. Um, mm-hmm. And also just oh, the, quick dove. Spot- the dove was great. The dove was really good, but also spotlight and shame on, I think their Prince Charles is arguably worse than their LBJ from a couple seasons ago. Cause Which that's not what Charles, that's not what Prince Charles looked like in 1997. No. <laughs> at, at all. Does not matter, <laughs> like, though. On a number of levels. Um, mm-hmm. Like, hair just alone, but also just doesn't look like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, it's a sort of a difference of if you're going to do silly, you have to find a way to bake it in, basically, that you have a grounding anchor. And Legends of Tomorrow, especially after they started figuring themselves out and halfway through season two, went oh, we can get away with all this stuff so long as we have a good emotional core. And the show is very good about maintaining that emotional core. Even with all the stuff that they're doing with Zari this season, always feels in service of fleshing out Zari in a way that's really, really interesting. Um, 
that I'm oh, I'm really consistently surprised by how much I like Zari 2.0 because she feels like just a refracted version of Zari 1.0. And I, I that's just really difficult to do. And it's really impressive that they're able to do it. Yeah, definitely. So Supergirl, be more like Legends, but yeah. still you, but also yeah, more be like Legends. You. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, on that note, uh, yeah. What wins your week in TV? Um, that's that's a tough call this week. Um, I think I'll give it to Black Lightning. Um, just solid, but also for Jefferson just being like, well, yeah, while we were doing all that, I saved the multiverse and reunited like a whole universe together, and it's just like, why you gotta always one up one us one up us, Dad? And it's just like <laughs> solid, solid. So I'm giving it to them for that. Um, but I did sort of like Doctor Who this week as well, even though it's very much a first parter of a two parter. Um, but yeah, um, yeah. What about you? How did you feel about this week's TV? Um, I will give it to Drag Race, but shout out to Legends. Uh, I I also liked Doctor Who, but parts of it and parts of it I didn't particularly care for. So that's going to be very much a let's see how this pays off to see whether it was worth it. And come back, listeners, next week where we discuss that. Yes. <laughs> well, a few show notes here at the end of our week in TV. You can find a post for this episode over at theteleverse.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can like our page on Facebook and start up a conversation there. You can email us, theteleverse at gmail.com. You can find us on Apple Podcasts with an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. And you can find my write-ups of RuPaul's Drag Race over at the AB Club. And, of course, we are both on Twitter. I am at the Televerse and Noel, you are? At Noel RK. Thanks so much for a great week kate thank you noel and everyone else we're gonna be back right after this with uh, emma fraser from primetimer sci-fi fangirls vulture collider and other places all across the interwebs at frasbelina on twitter to talk about next in fashion so we'll listen to a trailer and be right back after this Welcome to Next in Fashion. Yeah! We scoured the earth for some of the best designers in the world. Now I've launched Apple Bottoms and Rockaware, and I work for Stella McCartney. Moved on to Alexander Wang. What? Who amongst you is a household name? That's exactly why we're here today. Netta Forte will award the winning designer $250,000 with the opportunity to retail their designs. This is my chance. This is my opportunity. I think I need more thread than this, babe. Hello, Twinkle Toes. Who is your muse for this challenge? You. That is so rude that you thought of her and not me. Big No is boring. Slutty, but not illegal. Big No is blah. This is a bit scary. 30 minutes left. Oh, I want to gasp. <sighs> it looks like a runway collection in the making. He looks like a bad bitch. Your work really needs to be in the world. Dramatic? Drama, drama. Oh, I hear a graceful clippity clop. 
It's a That's small like Shetland job. pony behind you. <laughs> yeah. Just kidding, it's me. <laughs> We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalzik, and this week in the spotlight section, uh, it's time for some fashion talk. And therefore, I knew I should not be t- talking about this topic without someone very knowledgeable. So, who do we think of here at the Televerse? But of course, Frasbelina, Emma Fraser, Th- Fraser. Sorry, not Fraser. Fraser. That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for coming out to talk next in fashion. My pleasure. I'm excited to talk about the show, especially because it's hosted by two Brits as well. So I feel like I'm representing. Yeah, it feels like having Tan Franz and uh, Alexa Chung host really gives it this feel of like, I don't know, it feels very hip, uh, which I know is like the least hip, the least cool way to say that. But it (laughs) it feels very Netflix and very now, um, as opposed to going for someone who, for, for people who are maybe bigger in the actual like fashion industry, but that the viewers wouldn't know as well. Um, and of course we're going to be talking about project runway as well, but project runway going for, um, a higher name fashion model for one of their hosts. And then an alumnus for their mentor kind of figure. It felt like a very distinct choice over at, uh, at next in fashion, um, to go with, with those two hosts. Yeah, I agree. And it's interesting because Alexa Chung started her career over here on, um, doing this exact, uh, job she's been a host for a long time uh, but she hasn't really done it um for a few years and my husband even commented he was like I don't remember the last time I saw Alex Chung doing this role but she kind of slipped back into it so what like seamlessly and marrying her kind of like fashion like credentials the fact that she's got her own line it seemed like a good choice to me yeah no definitely well for those listeners who you know there's so much content out there who have missed this one um what is next in fashion and, and, you know, how does it stand out from other kind of designing shows to you? Well, it feels, it's weird how it feels very familiar, but it feels fresh at the same time. Like, as soon as I started watching it, I was like, this has kind of got that Project Runway vibe. And obviously, they are designers making clothes under very quick uh, time conditions. They've got a set theme every week, or every episode, rather, because it's not every week. <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, which is obviously strange when you're kind of like just binging one off the other. Uh, And yeah, it's just like then the fact that they're in pairs straight away. So obviously you have uh, team projects in Project Runway. The fact that this one starts off with pairs, it kind of feels like something different. Yeah. Well, just, you know, the structure of having, you know, we're going to have, what was it, like 20-ish 18 designers uh all in in a workspace doing things making things um in a short couple days kind of uh approach but let's pair them off um just so that we can have enough characters and designers to fill out a full season but so that we don't have so many looks every episode that we don't really get to to get a sense or feel for them. Um, it was clearly a structure that they wanted to to go with where like we can get the interpersonal stuff by making people work together. Some who know each other, some who don't, there'll be some, some, some nice friendship kind of energy from the people who do know each other and like each other. There'll be some good potential ant- antagonism from the people who don't know each other or don't seem like they would fit well together. We'll have fewer looks. And then at a certain point we will split them um, off and have them do one-on-one it feels very similar to the um what's the is it the final table the the 
the cooking show, comp- uh, competitive right. show that Netflix did um, last year or the year before. Uh, but but taking it and kind of doing this, you know, we're going to do Project Runway. We're going to do a fashion design show, but we're going to do it the Netflix way. I feel like they're starting to build a brand. Yeah, like the unscripted stuff, especially this year, it seems like there's a huge push for it. Like, obviously with things like Cheer, which is a very different show, but Mm -hmm. they're going for the kind of docu-series, they're going for reality series, and there's this kind of like, wholesome is maybe the wrong word, but like, or even nice is the Mm -hmm. wrong word. It's kind of like a a Bake Off, or sorry, Great British Baking Show sensibility to it, where there there is a niceness to it. Yeah. Well, definitely. I mean, because they're not setting up you and we can get into this. So you could argue that they are setting up some of the teams not to succeed just by based on who they're paired with, who the designers, which designs are paired together. Certainly, yeah. certain of them are are really benefited by the pairing, and certain of the, yeah. the designers are not. Um, but <laughs> you know, something like the fashion closet. Whereas on Project Runway, they send the designers over to Mood Fabrics and they give them a limited budget, and then they say, you know. You have X amount of minutes to pick all your fabrics here. They have a giant closet on like this <laughs> right there that they change up every single episode with fabrics and accessories that uh, and, and notions that will specifically should be useful for that topic. And then they also make sure they say, and if there's anything else that you want that is not in here, tell us and we will get it for you. Um, yeah. One of the late, uh, the late designs is like, or maybe it's even in the final is this fabric. That's like, like beaded or stoned or something that they say mention like offhand is like $600 a yard or something. Yes. So they they don't want them to have any like limits on what they can do outside of their own imagination and ability to execute, and that is where that that nice kind of energy, that supportive and uh, wholesome energy, comes in. I think is the set. You don't get the sense that the show is setting them up to to struggle. The, the, no, that they you get the sense that they really want these designers to deliver interesting, creative, and really memorable looks and i think in general all things considered they do a good job the designers yes yeah and and the good thing about that is the tent there is still tension it's not like you're watching a show where there's like nothing happened the tension does come from like the time constraints and maybe they've picked a fabric that they thought was going to be great but it turns out that it's unwieldy um for the design they make so there's still like a plenty of tension and there are still obviously like you said there's moments of conflict but it never feels manufactured and it never feels forced um, which is refreshing for this kind of show. Yeah, you mentioned Bake Off. And the thing I always think of with Bake Off is that when you're doing a show about baking, you don't need to have any manufactured te- tension because there's already <laughs> – it's like literally in the premise. Anyone who's ever baked something knows that you finish – You like by the time you put the thing in the oven, there is nothing you can do to save it. So that there's tension inherent. And the same thing I think is true here when you know they've made their designs. Hopefully by the end of the first day, they're close, if not completely done. Then the model shows up, and if there's an issue – there's a limited amount that they can do to fix it. So there's already plenty of tension right there baked in. Yes. Yeah. And then obviously there are those moments, but which I I was obviously, we're not going to talk about spoilers yet, but there are moments where things that are out of their control happen as well. Mm -hmm. Um, which again, doesn't necessarily feel like it's been baked into the show. Like it feels organic the way those moments happen. Yeah. And your ability to just, adjust and do what you can like again like you said emma we're gonna listeners we're gonna have a section at the end where we talk about spoilers and get more in detail uh about you know certain 
you know, who wins and how we feel about some of the progressions and everything. But there is uh, one one person like cuts themselves, right? It's like a very top chef. Yeah. Moment, where they there's this like, significant injury. They have to leave and their partner just has to do two times the work. Yay. <laughs> Yeah, and that's and that feels like it's this is stressful, and obviously things like that. People get injured, especially where like metal, I guess, is concerned, and mm-hmm. it's yeah, it's one of those moments where you're like, oh, this is this is not good. And I know they obviously in Project Runway, there always seems to be like an ambulance getting called, and that's obviously a big reality TV thing. But mm-hmm. again, they didn't play it as if in the unreal sense of it when you're like oh you get an extra 10 grand if you get an ambulance called kind of thing yeah yeah yeah. so it just it feels like we're maybe seeing a new kind of avenue of reality tv that has come from the bake-off model um it's kind of like progressing like in this way well i mean especially the world is stressful (laughs) the world is very stressful and yeah i think tracking kind of public sentiment and um like just overall like emotional mental state of of the target demographic for your viewership is maybe a good way to like see what kind of reality tv is going to be really popular if people are feeling secure maybe they want more danger and if people are stressed to the gills they probably want just some soothing let's set people up who who really deserve a breakthrough in their career with the opportunity to to maybe achieve it and we're gonna help them get there you know like it's just a very different vibe and uh certainly i know that i I can sit and on Netflix for far longer than I should and binge these kinds of shows. And especially that works for me if the, sh- if the people on the show, regardless of what the genre is, regardless of what the area of expertise of the experts, the competitors is, I will happily watch it if it feels like they're delivering. And I think this is a good way to segue into our designers. I think that these, they, they did a really good job casting and pretty much everybody on this show, I you know, even though people eliminated right at the beginning, I was very curious about what they would do. I kind of want them to do like a another season and bring back new people, bring some new people in, but also bring back some of the people that kind of got screwed over at the beginning of the yeah. season and see what they would do if they weren't like paired with their ridiculous doppelganger, like complete <laughs> opposite end of the spectrum. How did you feel about these designers? Were you familiar with any of them? And you know, what did you think of those early pairings? Um, I wasn't familiar with any of them, actually. Uh, obviously, I know about the design schools they went to, and it was quite impressive um, hearing who they've worked with before and what fashion houses and who they had designed clothes for, like the fact that Beyonce's name came up a couple of times. Like, mm-hmm. That's pretty major. Um, and I thought the pairings were interesting because obviously there were people who'd known each other for 20 years, mm-hmm. and then there were pairs who didn't know each other at all, and they didn't really explain how they came up with the pairings. And so I thought that was interesting, and I'd like to know more about the casting process. Yeah, it really felt like, for example, Angel and Minju, especially when later on, the you know, at a certain point, they talk about, oh, you're actually in, your stuff is in 70 different stores worldwide, yeah. and you're on the, you know, 30 most powerful under 30, like, where it's like, oh, you are a name, they recruited you, and it's very possible, I, mean, I don't know, we don't know, but it's very possible that Angel Chen was like, yeah, I'll do it. If you pair me with Minju, I'm not right. being paired with one of these other people. You're going to put me with this person that I know and respect and know that I can work with. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one. And like, yeah, because there were 
pairings and you like you talked about like people who maybe got screwed over a little bit where the tension did come from one of them like loud fabrics and the other like more kind of like sophisticated like simple lines and it's kind of like how are they gonna face off against a pair who share a very similar sensibility mm-hmm. um so yeah i just thought that was interesting and like it definitely worked against those people um in a big way <laughs> Yeah, the um, hmm. I think I'm tired of dancing already. So let's get to spoilers. And before we do that, I guess we haven't really talked about this. I enjoyed the show a lot. And listeners, if you're going to duck out before spoilers, I would say go check it out if you're interested in fashion and if you enjoy a well-structured reality show. What do you think, Emma? Any thoughts for those who don't want to who want to skip the spoilers for now? Uh, yeah, no, I agree. I actually think that even if you're not that interested, even if you have a casual like interest in clothes, I think. It, it, there's a certain level of like if you knowledge that if you know who these designers are especially the guest judges that's great but I think even if you don't there's enough in there for just a fan of a reality like competition show mm-hmm. definitely it has a different energy than something like Project Runway I enjoy Project Runway I've actually enjoyed what I've seen of like the sort of the reboot of this new version that's 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 been airing but this feels like that done better or done differently um and and in a way that i i did i wouldn't have pointed out negatives on project runway until i saw this to contrast it with and then been like oh yeah no this is more serious this is more actually interested It, it it feels like for me like a like the seasons of top chef uh, that feel really like really focused on the food versus other reality cooking shows where it's more about people yelling at each other over hot stoves, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, so I would say, yes, even if fashion isn't maybe your number one interest, if you like reality TV competition shows, probably you'll like this one. And actually, I was going to say, one other thing is how they critique the pieces is really interesting because obviously mm-hmm. in Project Runway, you see them watching the designs, you don't hear any comments, and it's all done at the end. Whereas this, you hear the comments throughout the runway, so you kind of know exactly where the judges are, like that minds are, and then obviously they go backstage and take a closer look. So it feels very considered. Mm-hmm. And they bring the cameras right with them when they're backstage. They'll, like, have them zoom in on this detail and this thing here and this thing there to really try to bring the viewers along with what the judges are seeing and, you know, what they're experiencing. I also appreciate that they don't, like, shy away from differences in opinion among the judging. There's one episode in particular we'll get to in the spoilers that is a where that's a big contentious issue. But in general, like, there'll be certain designs where one judge will love it. The other judge will be like, yeah, I don't really... You know, and and I like that there's that, that they don't try to manufacture complete consensus, though there is a lot of consensus, but, (laughs) but, but, you know, there will be pieces and and designs that certain judges really connect with and other ones don't have that same uh, connection to. And I I appreciate that because fashion is very personal. Yes, I agree. Okay. So listeners, we've given you time to stop your podcatching devices and pause and turn things off now we're going to get into spoilers and the first thing i want to get into with the spoilers is back to our team makeups because naresh was robbed (laughs) i cannot believe that naresh went out on a print challenge and i want him back on the show so i can see what he would do with that challenge oh yeah that was that was a wild one because obviously especially for what he was wearing as well you're like this outfit is incredible yeah um you clearly love prince and i and it was interesting to see which pairings who kind of relinquished 
their like sensibilities to their partner and it was normally the person who relinquished was they were then the one that went um because mm-hmm. obviously it happened with Haley as well yeah to an extent um so yeah like I agree like both both of those uh pairings I would say were unfortunate for them yeah definitely and it was just <sighs> I think you can't really appreciate it until you were in that situation but I'm just watching through the screen be like Lorena what is wrong with you look at what this person is wearing this is his challenge yeah. just do just do him just do what yeah. he wants and then in the next challenge it might be more more you know suited or tailored to your skill set and then we listen to you um but i mean that that strain i can't imagine that that strain uh, from either of them in trying to make your partnership work and there's so much on the line as a designer um and as just someone trying to earn two hundred fifty thousand dollars um but yeah. yeah, it was just like, oh, it was, it was crazy making. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I think those early episodes, you do get a lot of that, obviously towards when it kind of, they split off into their like single, like, well, yeah, non-team efforts, but yeah the, yeah, the initial team challenges, you could definitely tell who was a strong team and who like Angel and Minchu really were obviously completely in sync with each other. Uh, even, um, who else was Ashton and Marco? Like, cause yeah. they've known each other for so long. Like you could definitely tell they could just work together. I mean, that's so often that's like the most important thing is can not even who has the best design, but who is able to collaborate in a useful way. And I think we really also saw that with, um, with Angelo and, and, yes. and, and Charles and just <laughs> Charles, just keeping <laughs> Angelo in line. And, oh, that, cause that was the other side of the, the unusual partnership thing. I was like, Oh, this is a buddy cop movie and I'm here for it. Uh, it's super fun. And like, cause and a lot of people in the Angelo role would have chafed against Charles uh, right. with you know the way that he was keep trying to keep him on track but yeah. instead they were just absolutely adorable and wonderful yeah. together it was yeah. so much fun and then you get like um Daniel and Carly who obviously were great together but then as soon as they like put them as in like in, in individuals because yeah. he'd obviously been able to like rein in her anxiety and as soon as they were no longer together I, and I felt so like bad for her because she was she was such a good designer but she obviously the pressure of the challenge of the time constraints, which is totally understandable, like ruined her a little bit. Yeah. Or, and even just the, the stress, right. And it was so interesting seeing who, like the people who, the designers who had a particular trouble, at least what I was noticing in the, the stress and the time management tended to be the ones who felt like they had the most on the line, the ones who needed this the most, you know? Yeah. So when she, I think, that, I think maybe I'm misremembering, I think it was Carly who's like saying like, I'm a single mom to several kids, uh, you know, I really, really need this. And then that stress of, uh, of expectation and of, perf- you know, her perfectionism along yeah. with just how much this would change their life really put all that extra strain on them. And the same thing I was, was true. I thought with, um, was it Lorena who is working three jobs right now just to make ends meet and clearly is a very talented designer and shouldn't have to do that. But that's, you know, her reality. I think that was uh, Natalie. Um, Cause she was oh, Natalie, like, yeah. first. And then when they, the guy was like, Isaac was like, Oh, well, you know, it doesn't really matter. And she's just like, <laughs> like it clearly does. <laughs> it really, really does. For yeah. me, it does at least. Yeah. yeah thank was, you. That was such a, a real, like, cringe and like notable moment where one person like it's it's I mean obviously it would change their life two hundred and fifty thousand dollars but to him it wasn't as 
like lifeline like yeah. as it was to her. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you could tell the ones with the backgrounds. So yeah, I think it was Haley who had the the two boys. Oh, um, thank you. I see. I'm getting everybody all all um, jarm- jumbled. Thank you. Yeah. Oh no, that's, that's many of them. Um. Yeah. So like, I think yeah, she was talking about being obviously from a small town in Scotland as well, and how there's not as many opportunities. So you, you know, for people like that, it is gonna like location matters. Yeah. Uh, these kind of things. Um, and, and the fact that they are all from, they've all had some kind of success, but that none of them are, are brand names that everyone knows mm-hmm. uh, also is like a, a notable thing. Yeah, definitely. Well, and just, you know, I appreciate the, the casting people finding a group of 18 designers who all seem like they deserve to be there, who all seemed like they had something to offer um, and who were from such different circumstances and, and it was such different inspirations. It was, you know, it was a good set to start with, even if the, the way the season was structured meant that we were losing two every week in order to keep it to a 10 episode season. But yeah, no, it was, it was, it was an interesting, it was an interesting mix of, uh, aesthetics and, you know, and, and I think the topics that they picked for their challenges really allowed for a lot of space, you know, like red carpet, that can mean a lot of things to a lot of people and, you know, prints and suits and streetwear. They were very big topics and you didn't get the sense on the show that the judges were looking for, like they would say suit, but everyone knows what kind of suit that actually means. No, it was like, they were open to pretty much whatever the designers wanted to go with um, and there wasn't a sense of picking the winner based on what the judges had judges had come into, like the baggage the, that they had predetermined. You know, it was yeah. interesting. Yeah, and I and the thing I liked about all the different challenges uh, was that you could have one episode where Angela Minju won for their streetwear, and then the very next episode, the underwear challenge, they like that one. They were in the bottom, so yeah. there was like kind of you could go from top to bottom within the blink of an eye which I yeah. thought was interesting. Yeah, definitely. Well, we should talk about that streamer challenge because yeah. that is definitely <laughs> the most controversial. And I mean, I enjoyed the hosting. I thought actually having two hosts like that so they could banter and they could kind of discuss while things were going on was an interesting approach and not one that you usually see in these kinds of shows. I thought it worked, but um, I, <laughs> when Tan came in and was all emotional about about how important it's like make me feel better people who are uh, who i'm about to eliminate i was like you've got to be kidding me tan um and and especially because all the drama just seemed to be based on the fact that kirby uh Jean raymond was not gonna change his mind <laughs> and they wanted him to and he wouldn't um was was delightful <laughs> I love that he wouldn't change his mind because, like you said, like you don't normally get these kind of like just you never see the deliberations really like say in to- uh, in uh, Drag Race, Rue's always like I've made my decision kind of thing, mm-hmm. and obviously Rue's decision is final. Whereas on this, it did feel like they wanted him to pick who they wanted, and he was like, Nah, nope. You don't understand streetwear the way that I do. This is what it means to me. I will not send home these two designers when that one, <laughs> you know, like, just because it's a different aesthetic than the main judges connect with. He was like, no, I'm not going to do it. So you can eliminate them over my objections. And I will definitely tell them and everyone you can tell from <laughs> his posture and <laughs> everything that I disagree with you. And I think you sent the wrong people home. Or you can all change your mind and send who you don't think should go home, 
to save the person I people I think you should save, or the solution they came up with, which was to just not eliminate anyone. What did you think of that solution? I mean, it's it's a kind of classic uh, reality competition solution, really. And and obviously, they normally in these kind of shows they bring people back or or they do a save. So mm-hmm. it it did feel very kind of traditional, but the way it went down didn't feel traditional. Uh, and it did feel like they were like, we don't have another uh, solution. But then obviously those people still went home that next challenge. Yeah. <laughs> Which I guess like proved that they were possibly right in who they were going to send home. Yeah. And I think it was even like they were, they were sending them home because it was their time. Yes. You know, is the very much the, the, the sense I got from it and that they felt like the other people in the bottom um, might have more to offer because, you know, Fry and Kiki, they, they had been in the bottom for all but one of the episodes that they were in. And they, they were in the top in the other one that they did, the other episode. But it was very much this, this sense of like, okay, we see what they're doing, but they're not delivering the kind of looks that are going to win this competition. So yeah. regardless of whether they made the worst streetwear look, we know that they're not going to win. So let's give another shot to this other you know, part this other team, which yeah. is very pragmatic, but not <laughs> that is not what the guest judge signed up for. So right. he was not yeah. going to sign off on it. Because that thing, like they're judging on a whole, like over the period. Whereas, yeah, those guest judges are coming in and being like, "This is literally all I'm saying." Except for someone like Elizabeth Stewart, who obviously recurs quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So on the whole, these they're only seeing this one little snapshot. Yeah. Well, and it was also, I mean. It was pretty clear. The other team that I thought benefited from that was uh, was Angel and Minju, who uh, like who they had the worst look. It for was that was that the underwear challenge. Yeah. Um, but even Fry and Kiki were like, I mean, you're not going to send them home. I mean, come yeah. on, let's be honest yeah. here. They don't deserve to. They had the worst look. But like, let's be real here. We've been in the bottom every time. They've been in the top every time. Yeah. We get that you're sending us home. Um, and, and, you know, I feel I'm of different minds about that. Um, as I watch reality shows, sometimes I want them to be very strict about, no, it's just this episode or like on Top Chef, it's just this plate of food that determines it. And other times I get really frustrated if they do that. So I, you know, I, there are pros and cons to each approach, but in a, in something like this where it's a design challenge where they have such different areas every episode of of um styles of design or, or or inspirations like if you are just terrible at working with denim should that eliminate you when you're amazing at everything else eh, for me not so much so I, i'm more okay with this like kind of more holistic approach to eliminations when it's something that is so broad as the the kinds of like topics per episode that they were doing on the show yeah and the same with that their, their rock look um angel and minju as well they had they had two uh in a row where it was kind of so so yeah. but again you're it was kind of like well you know this isn't their area uh the fact that minju was like i went to a festival and i got drunk which made me love her even more oh yeah uh, like they were just so delightful and their other designs have been so strong they had such a clear vision that it made sense for them to stay. Yeah, no, definitely. Well, I mean, and now before we run out of time, let's talk a little bit about our, our finals because I thought that, you know, I would have liked, I would have liked more episodes, which is not something I usually say, but I would have liked more episodes because I would have liked to get to see 
the the top competitors do more individually because it's yeah. like six episodes of doubles and then then two eliminated each episode so we didn't get to see much uh, many many weeks of the designers making their own looks um but i i thought it was clear that the top two should have been angel and minju but I think the 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 producers were worried that the looks would be too similar, and they knew that if they did Daniel and Minju, it would be much more disparate. The final runways. What did, what did you think? Yeah, I agree with that. I also think Daniel did uh, throughout the show had some of the best looks. Like his sports look, the rowing was. I, like one of the most memorable from the whole run. Yeah. Um, so I was I was pleased to I I, I would have liked Angel and Minju, but I was actually pleased to see Daniel because I did like his designs and I really liked how uh, he used a lot of um, like kind of British heritage and obviously that's his kind of area. Um. So it was good to have that kind of balance in the final. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I th- thought that in general, that's one of the things that it really struck me about the season is that the the level was so high a lot of times you watch especially fashion show uh fashion and design based shows and you're like at least half the runway you're like no um <laughs> but but most of the most of the designs that people sent down were at least interesting and there were just a few you know in the whole series i would say that we that were complete whiffs i mean in general it was there was interesting um work on this on the stage and i mean i think all the top four did a really good job overall so yeah I, I i can see why they went with 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 daniel and uh i'm not all that surprised but uh that those that, that final runway i thought for both of them was really impressive uh, bringing in sewers for them to the teams of sewers yeah. for them to work with was essential and i'm really glad they did that um but seeing the i mean those looks in three days that's yeah. ridiculous yeah and like i i actually have to admit i was like crying my eyes out during that final runway I don't it was just so amazing to see both their work and their families and just how much it meant to them and I I don't know if I was just maybe feeling a little soppy that day but yeah I was like full-on tears (laughs) well as soon as Minju says I'm basing my runway my my collection on Frida Kahlo I was like (gasps) going for my heart (laughs) Okay, you better deliver because I'm gonna love this. And then having like just, I, I really liked Daniel's collection as well. I thought it was lovely. Um, but like when the for me the the moment and it was the one that where you know they show the crowd like gasping with Minju's final look of the wedding dress and the 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 church bell tolling with the light yeah. cue and everything it was very dramatic. But when when she takes the model takes the 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 veil down and you've got that hair i was just like that's oh that's so perfect that's what makes this whole look i don't actually care for the dress all that much but that hair (laughs) is perfect and yeah i really appreciated that this show had such a focus on styling like that they really talked about how important that is in fashion it's not just the design it's also how you conceptualize and put together the entire look yeah yeah, and and also what I really loved about her final look was that she had that issue where she couldn't work out how to do the, like, it was going to look too ruffled, and then Daniel gave her the solution, and even though he was her rival, he still gave her a way to make it better, mm-hmm. which kind of underscores exactly what we're saying about the collaborative effort of the show and how it kind of, it's showing the fashion industry, which most people are probably thinking is Devil Wears Prada, Icy, uh that kind of style and it's giving this kind of like no people will help each other 
Yeah. Well, and it's also this, I mean, you know, you mentioned Drag Race earlier. Yes, don't get me wrong, $250,000 is a lot of money. Um, but being on a show like this is going to raise Daniel's profile so significantly it's going to cause people to to explore and, and look for his work in a way that they never would have without the show and so coming off well on a show like this yeah. <laughs> is incredibly helpful and i think this show is early enough i mean it's only the first season that that you know, you don't get the sense that the competitors are trying to like game the system and like build social media fan bases out of it. The way no. that is definitely constantly happening on Drag Race. Um, but there, there's something to be said for like the most important thing, like try to win. But there's 18 people who go on the show. Most of them are going to lose. So yeah. the most important thing is not to win. Try to win. Do your best. But come out of it, you know, with a good, uh, like PR for yourself with, with pieces that you can defend that you, people will think of you when they think of, and will seek you out to try to replicate and find their, your, you know, your take on this look for them. Um, yeah. So, so having that kind of fostering that element of collaboration and, and cooperation and wanting to win, but wanting to win against your competitor's best work, I think really does yeah. a lot to, to engender, uh, to build a fan base and to, to, to just get yourself a lot of positive press and goodwill. Yeah, I agree. And especially like the, the kind of days of like fashion design and divas is kind of, it feels very passe and like, who wants that now basically and like and in someone like christian siriano is a really good example because he came across really well in his season obviously his designs are incredible um but he's also a really great mentor because he's he's a nice guy but he will also you know say it how it is he'll give yeah. actual like critiques and i think you can do critiques without being mean i think that's that's what this show also did was that again when they were going around looking at all the designs when they went backstage they would point out things that they didn't like but then they would find out like you know inspirations and then they would like kind of understand the piece more than they probably did beforehand yeah well and talking about how that is effective versus how it's not translating it's like you know, like I think of uh, what was it? it was the wedding dress right with Angel and Minju where the guest judge wasn't connecting with it. Then he found out the story and he loved it. Um, yes. And you can do that once or twice. But if you have to explain too often, then your design isn't translating. Right. And and that's something that they charted over the course of the season with different designers and who was getting their story across and who was not. Um, and yeah, no, it, I, yeah, it, it, it was a really fun show. I was not expecting to have such a strong reaction. It was more, it was very much like a, well, I'm out of competitive baking shows and <laughs> I'm out of others. People have been talking about this one. Let's check it out. Kind of a thing for me. And I did not expect to be so pleasantly surprised. I really enjoyed it. And I hope it's back for season two soon. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I put it on, uh, I was coming back from London. I put it on, on the train and I was very sleepy and I kind of was like, no, actually what I got, I kind of, what I was like, I'm going to fall asleep. I need to stop this because actually I'm quite enjoying it. Um, and then I, I basically binged it in two days cause it was very easy to do that. Well, and again, there's only 10 episodes. So, yeah. you know, and, and, and most of the episodes did not feel like they were too long either. It felt like they had a good balance of, you know, like the different designers, the interpersonal versus the creative and yeah. And some shtick, but thankfully not too much shtick. <laughs> Was there uh, any other like specific designs or judges or like guests that you wanted to, to shout out or mention or any other elements um, that stood out to you about this season? 
Well, I really liked Elizabeth Stewart. I liked that she was the kind of the recurring presence because mm. she does have some very high profile clients. She's uh, Julia Roberts. Um, she does Zoe Deutsch. And Zoe Deutsch, I actually find one of the most interesting people on the red carpet. So every time she was like, I would put a client in this, um, it kind of her opinion definitely felt weighted. Um, mm. And same with all the designers, you know, Prabhu Garang, Christopher Kane, Philip Lim. Like these are like, blockbuster names it was impressive tommy hilfiger yeah i mean these are significant people to the point where i was a little like you guys aren't trying to tell me that tommy hilfiger and tan france get the same weight of vote right because like (laughs) tan's great and all but like tommy hilfiger come on and and it's a denim challenge (laughs) right and actually i really like that um two of the challenges i do want to mention quickly um i liked in the underwear challenge that they used extended models uh Mm -hmm. for the women that was really great to see it wasn't just uh your typical size zeros and i really liked in the denim challenge that daniel focused on sustainability because obviously that's a major issue yeah, no, and it in in a way that was interesting and even that he pulled off. I was not confident he would. <laughs> but <laughs> but he did. Yeah. And having that at least come up because fashion and fast fashion is such a polluter and so which is in a way that is not discussed in a you know, meaningfully a lot of the time. It's not the it's not the thing that a lot of people go to as like what's contributing to to the, you know, pollution and to uh the you know climate crisis fast fashion doesn't you know come right to mind for a lot of people but um so so bringing up that topic feeling like he could and like that it would and trusting that it would come off well you know as opposed to that he would get like a a negative edit for it for doing that um was was nice it was good that they that they had fostered again that sense in the room amongst the competitors that this was the you know that he felt like he could do that and he wouldn't get like the whiny uh squeaky wheel kind of edit but instead would be celebrated for for doing that yeah i liked i mean i i, I liked a lot of these these topics and like i think i think a little bit more awareness of the in, in the military challenge would have been good <laughs> yes but other than that <laughs> i i thought that there was it was a good balance and yeah, I don't know what they're going to do next season. If they're going to try to keep come up with 10 new topics, which will be challenging. But for the first yeah. season, I think it worked well. I think so too. And it was actually good as well when like Ashton and Marco, the fact that they were, uh, again, actually this was the underwear challenge. Obviously they'd been like, one of their constant criticisms was it was like too costuming. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the underwear challenge, the fact that they could like go into like kind of like the slightly more bondage area with like that, that mask was so cool. Mm-hmm. And that whole look was amazing. And I like that they got to, you know, talk about like aspects of their like worlds. And I think I, I, I thought that challenge was particularly good. Yeah. And not the, it was not the looks that you usually get in those types of challenges in design shows. And that was yeah. refreshing. Yeah. And just, yeah, the extended model sizes, that was that was great as well, because the fashion industry obviously struggles uh, with that side of things. Uh, and I think, obviously, it'd be better if they had more models like that than just one episode. Um, yeah. But I guess it's a start. <laughs> yeah, it's something. We'll take it. We'll take it. Hopefully <laughs> they step that up next season. Um, yeah. And it's... I liked that they had uh, male and female models, um, but it did feel somewhat limiting on, you know, especially where the d- discussions around gender are right now. 
Um, yeah. it, you know, it would be interesting if they did in a second season more androgynous fashion and included non-binary yeah. um, models uh, in, in that. Uh, but still just like the fact that they're like, you can do whatever you want and you're going to get a male model and a female model go to town, whatever you want to put them in, have at it. Um, yeah, that was a good step. And then we'll see what they do in a season two. And hopefully there'll be more, um, yeah, even more creativity and more, more boundary pushing for at least based on what we usually see on TV. Yeah. And, and also in terms of like the prize as well, having uh, looked at Minji's collection on uh, Nessa Porter, it's like five of the pieces have already sold out. I mean, oh, wow. the, the price points are relatively high, but Nessa Porter is, um, but yeah, there's 13 pieces and five have already sold out. So well, good on Minju. Way to go, Minju. Yay. <laughs> yeah. So and, and they look gorgeous. They, they look really, really good. Yeah. Well, it's but. very exciting. I have to go check that out. I hadn't thought to, to, to follow up on that. So I will go do that. And while I'm doing that, uh, Emma, thank you again for coming back on the podcast. Where can our listeners find you and your work online? So you can find me at Frasbelina on Twitter um, and you can find my work at a variety of sites, including uh, Sci-Fi Fangirls, Primetimer, uh, Vulture, Collider. Yeah. <laughs> over there being wonderful and fabulous all over the internet. Uh, much appreciated. Um, thank you, Emma, for coming on the podcast. <laughs> thank you for asking me and especially for this, this show. Oh, so much fun. And listeners, thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Televerse. 